Welcome once again to Cinemaholics. Wait, what? I'm John Agroni, box office columnist for Adam Tickets. Uh, staff writer for the young folks and head writer of Cinemaholics.com. Uh, you okay, Will? Um, yeah, I think so. Right. Okay, well, you already heard his voice, folks. He's a pop culture writer for Cinema Blend, and, uh, Will, are you sweating? Oh, uh, uh, yeah, I guess I just, uh... Are, are you all right, Will? Yeah, I guess I'm just a little confused. Confused about what? Uh, well, you know, they usually start the show with, the uh, I don't know, some sort of escapade. What are you talking about, Will? This is Cinemaholics, not season two of Community. We have uh, some serious, hard-hitting reviews to get to. Okay, I'm sorry. I guess I just, I guess everything's just been so out of whack with me these last few months. Like the grocery store ran out of my favorite can opener. Ariana Grande recently boycotted my Instagram stories. Nearly 170,000 Americans have died preventable deaths in just the last five months from a pandemic. I guess I've just gotten used to something random or weird happening during the show, like a song and dance musical number with the one and only Ivan or a crossover with the Harlem Globetrotters, maybe a superhero fantasy scene where you sort out your father dependency thing, or a game show bit, or a shot shot remake of Charles and Charles theme song, or a suspenseful standoff with the Russian mafia. You know, normal stuff for us. Well, I don't know. Well, for some reason, I want to say that you're scaring me again, but honestly, I just hope you feel better soon because we have some, you know, business to take care of. Well, thanks. I guess that sounds good. I just can't wait to. It's time for a PSA podcast service announcement. Well, hello there, Mr. Millennial. I see you're now delivering groceries for seniors like me who don't want to make a trip to the grocery store these days. <sighs> I knew it. Okay, what do I have to say now to get this over with? What? What, what do you... Sorry. Grandma Charades, what in the modern technology reference are you doing here? Drifts in a goofy way I have to spell out with the comedic timing of a spoken word because, well, this is a podcast. Well, well, Mr. Millennial, I'm here to make fun of your generation with no self-awareness of how royally my generation screws up without taking any collective responsibility. Now, have you called your parents lately and acted nicer than you feel right now about their Facebook activity? <sighs> no, Grandma Charades, I've been too busy trying to figure out how I'm supposed to stop a global threat of climate change while simultaneously making enough money to pay for your social security, even though mine is no guarantee however many years from now. But I promise I'll get to it. Glad to hear it. I hope you now know that when it comes to your elders, we always know what's worst for you is best for us. Hey, wait a minute, Grandma Charades. Your Walmart grocery app order contains a recalled jar of Peter Pan peanut butter, a wrench, half a Big Mac sandwich, non-flushable wipes, military-grade hairspray, non-biodegradable Tupperware, a bunch of movies that are clearly mockbusters of famous Pixar and Disney cartoons, and all 15 seasons of Grey's Anatomy. Oh, well, you know I've been meaning to catch up. Grandma Charades, I'll fulfill this order, but I at least expect a tip, especially if you expect me to find only the second disc of the Golden Girls Season 3 DVD. Fine, here's a tip. 
Don't forget to rate and subscribe to Cinemaholics on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever else you love podcasts. Welcome once again to Cinemaholics. I'm John Agroni. I am the box office columnist for Adam Tickets, head writer of Cinemaholics.com, staff writer for the young folks. He is a pop culture writer for Cinema Blend, and he also reviews films for Cinemaholics.com. It's Will Ashton. Hey, feel a little deja vu, but how you doing? Deja vu? Why? Uh, I don't know. It's one of those days, I guess. Well, you can find more episodes of Cinemaholics to fill all those days, including our full archive on Cinemaholics.com. And you can write into the show anytime by sending us an email, cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com. We have a new feature, by the way. Uh, have you heard of the Swell app, Will Ashen? Uh, no, but it sounds swell, I guess. It's it's sweller than you may even predict. Uh, so this is a new app that lets you leave voicemails. And we just signed up for this. And so if you're a listener and you want to hear your own voice on the show, we're setting this up. I'll try to link to it in the show notes, but all you need to do is find Cinemaholics on the Swell app and leave us a voicemail on one of our prompts. And we'll probably be doing like questions on there, uh, hoping some people can use it for their own birthday shout outs, that kind of fun thing. So definitely check that out if you are interested. And last, don't forget, if you want to become a monthly supporter of Cinemaholics, become one of our monthly patrons, we invite you to check out patreon.com slash cinemaholics to learn more details. That's another link that is, of course, as always, in the show notes. All right, just a few off topics to get to because we have uh, a lot of interesting films we are going to be reviewing this week. This week, we're going to be looking at Project Power, the new Netflix action superhero film. We have the documentary Boy State, which just hit Apple TV+, Magic Camp, which just hit Disney+, and one last documentary, Happy Happy Joy Joy, about the Ren and Stimpy shows. So uh, interesting range of uh, films to get to. But first, our off mm-hmm. topics. We are going to be releasing our next extra milestone later this week but you can check out the latest one right now in which sam nolan and myself talked about la dolce vita which just celebrated 60 years since its release this is one of my all-time favorite movies of course federico fellini's masterpiece definitely want to check that episode out even if you've never seen la dolce vita uh, I try to make my case for why you might want to check it out or rewatch it if you if it didn't work for you the first time. So that's out right now. Our Q&A episode is still in process of coming out. Trying to find a good day to release this one, but we did record our Q&A episode. We answered a ton of your questions, a lot of a lot of interesting topics like uh, how we watch movies at home, uh, what kind of movies would we make if we were filmmakers, all kinds of fun stuff like that. I asked Will a few personal questions. So that was that was good. Um, I feel like you answered pretty honestly, I think. I think so. And yeah, that'll be out later this week. Last, we have a couple of films we're not getting to this week, but uh, we are they are still on our radar. First, there's Sputnik, which we might have a written review for that yeah. coming out later this week. That is the Russian alien invasion horror movie that just had didn't find time to see it. But I'm hearing good things. Yeah, I don't know if you are. Will. no, I've been hearing good things as well. I I. Didn't hear about it until you mentioned it last week as a potential film to talk about this week. But yeah, it sounds like it's uh, getting some good noses, which is good to hear. Yeah, similarly, I really want to check out La Llorona, which is a new Shudder film. I think it's a Shudder exclusive. Oh, it's a Shudder film? Hmm. Yeah, yeah. So you can find that right now. And I've, I've heard that is also really good. A lot better than Curse of La Llorona, which is the 
other film, the uh, the one yeah. that was the Conjuring Universe version mm-hmm. of that story of that character that character. I guess that's more of like a horror monster, but yeah, that's out as well. And I've heard that La Llorona is a lot better. It's a little, it's a lot more edgy and it's got more of that horror tint to it that you would expect from the folklore. So I'm excited to check that one out. And last, yeah. for some reason, I was convinced that Will was going to watch Spree. We tried to investigate this earlier in the show. Will checked the receipts and I, I was so confident, Will, that you had seen Spree and you were going to talk about it this week that I actually put it in our outline and I had to delete it because you you corrected the record and said, nope, never never said you were going to watch Spree, but this is the new rideshare killer movie, killer thriller, I suppose, starring Joe Keery from the Stranger Things movies. So Steve. that is, that's also getting some notice. I've heard mixed things, but a few good things here, nothing too negative and a you know, kind of film that I would want to see in a drive-in considering it's in a car. Yeah. I mean, I was, uh, I mean, I wasn't against seeing it. I just hadn't seen it. So I don't know if it's a, is it a VOD or is it on a streaming service? I believe it's VOD right now. If okay. it's on a streaming service, I'm not aware of it, but yeah. you could probably check it out via virtual cinemas as hmm. well as always. We, we ask that you at least see what's available in virtual cinemas first, because you tend to, uh, be able to it's like the same thing as renting you might pay a little bit more but you'll be supporting art house theaters and helping them stay afloat if that is something that's within your means we ask that you give it a shot consider doing that we're trying to do that as well and then last will i checked out yes god yes and this was the film that abby Olchesi talked to us about a few weeks ago this is the the new film that is about a young woman in the early 2000s who goes to a Catholic school who has a bit of a sexual discovery. And I have to say, so Abby gave this film high praise. She gave it an A on this program. And I am similarly singing its praises. She was preaching to the choir indeed when she was praising this film because I loved yes god yes such a fun humble movie it's not flashy it's not too big it doesn't go too far with its premise i think the central character she plays nancy in the stranger things films and unfortunately her name is escaping me but we've seen her in other things as well um talia dyer i think is her name and she is such a treasure and this movie really is making the case that she could be an even bigger star with some projects like this that are in this vein that really showing off just um, how talented a young performer she is. I think the Stranger Things show hasn't quite known what to do with her throughout the three seasons. And I think in this movie, some of her untapped potential is coming through. This is a funny movie. It's dark, but not too dark. It's not too mean-spirited, but it, it is sort of cynical about the way we allow religion to dominate our lives and our morality. And so I definitely recommend Yes, God, Yes, along with Abby Olchesi. I think I ended up pretty close to an A minus on it, but I think overall I'm about a B plus. It's not a big movie. It's not the kind of movie that I think is so essential that it's just going to knock everyone off their feet. It's very specific, but yes, a very hearty, enthusiastic B plus from me. Easy recommend for anybody who grew up in sort of an evangelical or Catholic background. They can definitely see themselves in the situation and some of the absurdities and the humor in that. And even if you didn't grow up in that, I think there is a lot to glean from, uh, from that experience. And what people, you know, other people might have gone through as uh, middle schoolers and high schoolers and so on. So definitely recommend Yes, God, Yes. I don't know if you'll get to it, Will, but if you do, I'd be curious to hear what you think. Yeah, I mean, it's on my list. It just came to one of the virtual cinemas I frequent. So 
uh, I might check it out soon. But yeah, I've, I've heard good things from you and Abby, obviously, and, and from other critics. So I'll have to check it out. All right, let's get into our first review of the week. We're talking about Project Power. Power, power, speak a little loud. If there was a pill. I'm you for that money. I'm coming at the power. They could give you five minutes. Spit it so they get it. I'm embedded with the power. A pure power. I'm embedded with the power. Would you take it? Project Power is basically a superhero action film. And I didn't know this going into it. And I didn't even realize it during the movie, but apparently it's rated R, which I guess makes sense because there's some stuff that happens. It's very people gross, explode. very over the top. Yeah, people explode. <laughs> there, there's gory stuff. But I guess the reason I thought it was kind of going for PG-13 is because they sort of avoid F-bombs and they sort of, yeah, there's some no. PG-13 tropes in here, which I no, thought I was get you, strange. Man. Because there's there's one scene where like uh, Jamie Foxx like it's about to say the f word and he doesn't. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this might be PG thirty. He's like, wait a minute, a guy just exploded like five minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, there's no way this is PG or trying to be right, PG thirteen. Right. Um, that's probably confusing because we haven't explained the premise of the film yet. So this just hit Netflix, and the original script was a bit of a bidding war. A lot of studios wanted to make this, and the reason is because the premise is pretty promising. The idea is that a pharmaceutical sort of corporation has created a drug or a pill that gives you superpowers for five minutes. The catch is that you don't know what your power is. So every person has a different power. And there is a chance that if you take this pill, you will explode <laughs> as we have laid out here. And the movie itself follows a drug dealer played by kind of a newcomer actor who I'm, I'm not as aware of, Dominique Fishback. Uh, I think we've seen her, maybe one or two other things. And then she is kind of a drug dealer who is working in tandem with a police detective played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt. And their worlds collide with a former soldier, the Major, played by Jamie Foxx, who is hunting down the people who distribute this pill because of something related to a bit of a complicated backstory, but definitely not a backstory that I thought was all that interesting. It, it was weird because you get to this point in the film where you're finding out this is why all of these characters are here. They're united by these cool powers. And really what it comes down to is the thing that our central character wants is very wrote it, it's very tropey it's there's nothing much to it um, i think that some of the subplots in here are a little interesting i think the idea of joseph gordon levitt as this cop who has to sort of secretly use the pill in order to compete with criminals who are using this pill but he has to do it secretly there's an interesting vein of a story there i think dominique fishback it's a lot of good scenes and she doesn't end up being kind of just like the annoying side character who is there because reasons she actually has a little bit of agency in this and kind of gives something to the plot without being a distraction more than anything. 
But I, I don't know, this film did not really register for me. Will it, as an action movie, it has its moments. This comes to us from the directors of Paranormal Activity 3 and Nerve. I saw a lot of nerve in this, and I saw some horror elements, certainly out of Paranormal Activity 3. There's one scene in particular that did wow me, like genuinely I thought was a standout scene that you know, in a better movie would have made the movie. But other than that, Project Power was a huge let down for me didn't have a lot of power for me but what, what did you think of the movie well uh, i'm a little more mixed on it i guess like I, I i do recognize some of the good that's in here like i do i like you're saying I, I think the premise itself is intriguing enough that i was kind of willing to oh, forgive some of the like tropey things you're saying and some of the like clunky writing which is very apparent throughout the film but not enough to where like i can really cut some slack because like you said it, it does follow such a rote formula as far as these things are concerned like the R8 elements does give it a little bit more spice, but the story itself doesn't really go in any direction that you wouldn't expect it to, which is a shame because I do think if this story or the script was um, taken from this writer, I'm not as familiar with who they are, but if maybe like another writer just like kind of fleshed it out and kind of really dug more into like the metaphor here or like maybe the allegory um, or like something that like made it a little bit more meaningful as it stands, like the, the intent of the film seems kind of like messy at times. Like I get what's like, I think I get what it's trying to do. But I don't really think the execution really makes it clear enough to where like it really affects it or really makes it effective. I mean, but as a film, like, I mean, visually, it's more striking than a lot of the recent Netflix blockbusters. Like, I think this is a little bit more visually appealing than something like The Old Guard or Bright um, in some respects. Some of the scenes look kind of like overwashed out and kind of ugly, but some of them are very like, you know, kinetic and fun. So I was kind of back and forth in the visual style. But I mean, the performances, I I, I do really like Dominique Fishback. I saw her in um, The Night Comes to Us, I think it's called. Or so it was um, like a, an indie film from about three or four years ago, I think. And she was the lead in it. She was really good in it. And uh, I'm glad that she got us this platform. I think she does a really good job here. I think Jamie Foxx is a lot of fun. Joseph Gordon-Levitt's fine. He seems a little miscast, but I get he's trying to do kind of like the Robin thing again. So it's, yeah, it's, a not, bit. Yeah, it's not bad to sound like, I don't know, I feel like like, I never really fully bought him in this character. Maybe it's that baby face. I don't know what it is. But uh, as a film, yeah, I I agree with a lot of your criticisms. I think I'm a little bit more forgiving of the film because I do like Henry Jose and Ariel Shulman. I think with the exception of Paranormal Activity 4, I've really enjoyed a lot of their stuff. And I do think they have a fun visual style. And I think they have a playfulness to their filmmaking that's certainly enjoyable, especially for something like this. But there is something about this film in particular that's really kind of like overly serious and overly moody in a way that like kind of prevents it from having as much fun as the premise suggests. Cause like the idea of like, you know, like these, these characters can have these powers that, uh, you know, can change at a whim and could be very deadly and stuff like it, it could be a lot more cartoony, a lot more like silly than I think it, it could be. And so like yeah. the kind of more serious uh, approach kind of like makes it seem silly in a bad way. I feel like, cause it's kind of going for something that's a little bit more uh, grounded in its approach. So I don't know. I'm back and forth on it. There's stuff in here I like and there's less of I don't. So I don't know. I'll figure it out where I stand as we talk. Yeah, I, I think even with that serious tone, I think for me, it's it's more noticeable that they do have this really intriguing premise and they have all of these amazing directions they can go into with these powers and everything. But ultimately, we don't see a lot of different powers and most of them are just not very interesting. There's one, for example, where one of the characters kind of turns into a bad CGI troll from like the Harry Potter movies. And it's really out of place, I thought. And, it, you know, the yeah, whole culmination of that scene is super underwhelming. Yeah, it's an $85 million budget. 
So we're definitely not looking at a film with like the massive Disney yeah. budget you would get for a big superhero but film. But it has a like TV pilot feel to it a lot. Maybe it's because mm-hmm. of Netflix thing, but I got that sense a lot watching this. Agreed. Agreed. Speaking of TV, yeah, you mentioned Dominique Fishback. I think uh, film wise, I've seen her in like The Hate You Give is probably the only only other thing I've seen her in oh, movie yeah. wise. But she's been in a bunch of shows. I mean, she's had like smaller roles and and certain episodes. The only show I think she's been like a serious regular was The Deuce on HBO. But yeah, other than that, uh, she is relative newcomer when it comes to film. And then also Madison Tomlin, who did the screenplay you kind of briefly mentioned. I didn't know this screenwriter screenwriter very well because he's actually working on the new Batman movie with Matt Reeves. So I'm very curious about how this is going to kind of like, you know, inform, like if this film is successful or if it's not successful, if that is going to inform how people receive the Batman, or if people are going to forget this movie and be like, oh, the screenwriter Project Power, okay. Or if they're going to be like, oh, no wonder, you know, if the film ends up not being good, you know, being like, well, Project Power wasn't good, if that's their opinion, right? So, um, but yeah, this is more of an up and coming screenwriter. He's only been around for a few years now. That said, I agree with you a lot of your criticisms. Um, I'm, I'm a little, I want to say one nice thing, specifically the body horror stuff is at least sort of doing something different with the superhero. Oh, thing. Yeah. I like the idea of like the superhero body horror and really I always love body horror. like it, it's a good idea to infuse that. And in like these superpowers are extremely dangerous and it plays into the metaphor pretty well. Um, there are some scenes here that I was like, Oh my goodness, of course this is rated R. <laughs> um, even though like the rest of the movie didn't quite match that there's a particular action scene where we are literally watching somebody's body break down in kind of a one shot where a fight is being observed beyond the glass. And even though the point of this scene or like the the horrendous violence of this scene is never paid off in any meaningful way. Like there's never a moment where you can think back to that scene and be like, this scene had to happen because it informs this character motivation or decision that happens later. No, it's just kind of like a flashy scene that happens that is very well produced that you get the sense that it's Netflix trying to insert maybe their own daredevil hallway fight scene to sort of get attention. And it comes across that way. It doesn't mean the scene is any less exciting. And I think yeah. that it is easily the best one of the movie. And I was surprised that it none of the rest of the movies seem to match up in terms of quality for me. It's kind of the same issues that Chris Hemsworth uh, Netflix action movie from like a few months ago that I can't Extraction. remember the title. Yeah, there you go. Um, which I think this movie is better than that, but <laughs> that had a similar issue. Um, yeah, I, I just remembered uh, it's Night Comes On is the Dominique Fishback movie I was referring to. Also, did you know she's 29? I had no idea. No, that is a huge surprise to me. I thought yeah, she was I maybe no in her early 20s. Wow. Yeah, no, I, I didn't even think she was even in her 20s. So surprised she, me. I mean, let's, she plays uh, a high schooler in this movie. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, she's older than me. <laughs> uh, you know, not the I, I'm just more surprised. I'm not trying to uh, play her in spot or anything. I think she's a great yeah, actress. She's my age. So, yeah. Wow. Wow. Uh, anyway, I mean, unless Google's wrong on that, <laughs> but um, any case, yeah, I I don't think this is a bad film. I think it's fine. I just think it's not really going to sit with me too long. Like, I think it's it's another one of these Netflix action movies that it's, I think, a little bit better than some of the ones we've gotten recently. But ultimately, I just feel it to be kind of middling in its approach. Um, you know, I mean, I, like I said before, I do like Jamie Foxx. I think he is a like legit star and I think he has a lot of charisma and I think he does bring a little bit more to this role than what's written on the page. And uh, I enjoyed his performance in this. I thought he did a good job. And I think he works well with Dominique Fishback. But yeah, in the end, um, 
yeah, I, I just was kind of left wanting, I guess, a little bit more than what I got. But at the same time, like, I don't think it's a particularly terrible film either. So I'm sure, it's, between. it's mostly competent, even though it doesn't really amount to much, at least by my estimation. I'd right. say that I definitely agree. This is slightly better than a lot of other Netflix action movies we've gotten, even though it doesn't have the best action. It at least is a, little, a bit more of a solid script. It's it's not as a bit more inventive. Yeah, I think. I think what it's missing is just some more surprises. I think more of the surprises we get are all sort of built into the backstory of the major character, which are all sort of revealed in the midpoint. There was at no point in this movie where I was like, that's an interesting subversion, or that's not what I was expecting. You kind of said that it, it really just sort of plays out the way you think it will. And I had the same sort of feeling where Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character, you know, he he's kind of playing into how New Orleans, you know, this is, a, this is our location, and they really capitalize on new orleans as a place instead of it just being like a backdrop like it is in another netflix movie like the lovebirds it actually plays into the story of like the people of this city feel like lab rats they feel like their lives don't matter and they they actually mention hurricane katrina implicitly a few times and playing into like the resentment they have toward the government mm-hmm. there is a movie right there and right, this movie yeah, just like. barely touches on it mm-hmm yeah, I mean, that's like, it's kind of like that same issue I had, uh, and this is going to be a comparison, it might seem worse than it actually is, but like fan stick, like there's that scene in the middle where like they kind of like explore like the humanity of it and like the idea of like having superpowers is like a terrifying thing. And yeah. it's like, yeah, it's like a really, like, especially in this like superhero boom, like that's a really interesting idea for a body horror film. And like this movie kind of touches on that as well. Like you kind of like see like the idea of like when they have superpowers, like it has like damn effects, like Machine Gun Kelly, like his body's burned. Like after, he's not like he's like uh, Johnny Storm or whatever. But, you know, like, these are like interesting ideas. I just don't think the script is smart enough to really communicate them in a way that's as effective as the concept is, which is disappointing. Yeah, I'm always a fan of when movies like this sort of degloss or de-glamorize the superhero genre. I think we're definitely overdue for that when it comes to a bigger budget, more mainstream offering because we've gotten it plenty of other times in lesser not lesser films but smaller films well, i should say and like tv and stuff like the boys and things yeah. Yeah. the boys I, you know still working through season two which is coming out pretty soon and i cannot recommend the boys enough i know will you are sort of soured on it because you accidentally watched the season one finale instead of the <laughs> pilot i still don't know how that happened but uh, i have my ways if you can get back through it, Will, it's it's really rewarding. And that that is a, a much better alternative watch for any listeners who have not seen The Boys or are ready to watch season two. That's going to be coming out soon. But it's such a fantastic exploration of the superhero genre through the lens of the people without powers, which is an idea that other things have tried. Like we've gotten like powerless and there was that one show where it was like kind of like Wayne Enterprises employees and like people have tried to explore this premise kind of before and it you know it, it tends to have mixed results at best one thing that is coming out in a couple of weeks that could sort of lean into the sort of superhero body horror i stick we should say is new mutants which is supposed to be like a horror super kind of thing yeah. and I wonder how this is going to compare. They're sort of releasing around the same time. I think New Mutants is probably going to be an unforgettable experience for us. Yeah. One I mean, way or the other. Yeah. I mean, well, I, I say supposedly because who, who knows? Like, that's one of yeah. those movies that uh, I'll see it when I Cursed. believe it. Yeah. <laughs> well, curse. Yeah. That too. Yeah. But yeah. 
Yes, yes. It reminds me of like solo a Star Wars story where I fully expect even when like I press play or if I was at a theater, someone's just going to come out and say this movie never existed. So, <laughs> like until you've been here for a hundred years. <laughs> yes. Waiting for a movie that will never begin. Yeah. That's Project Power. Not much to talk about beyond all of that. Uh, I'm just a C on it. I think it's, you know, it's okay. It's it's a little less than okay in some cases, but there's enough in it that's good that I can't say it's a fully bad film to any extent. It is just totally serviceable. It exists. It's not very offensive to watch in the sense that you probably won't feel dumber having watched it. But, you know, it's a bare distraction at best. Yeah. I mean, like if I was giving this out of like a 10, I'd say maybe it's like a 5.8 or 5.9. Like it's like almost there, I feel like. like almost, it's almost a C plus. Well, no, that'd be almost like a B minus because that's that to me is like about a C plus. Got it. I think that's like that's the thing. It's like a B, a C plus verging on a B minus. It's one of those things where it's like it's almost passable. It's like almost there for me. I just think it's like missing one or two things that could really make this unique enough or to stand out enough to where like I'll remember it in a week or two. Uh, As it stands, I think it just kind of ends up being somewhat serviceable. Kind of just does what it needs to do, I guess, but doesn't really make an impression, which given the premise itself, which I think is, like you said, really interesting and really intriguing idea and with a lot of uh, resonant themes, I, I think this movie just falls short in a lot of ways, which is shame because like there is stuff in here I like. I do like the two central performances. I do like the concept. I do think Henry Joe and Ariel Schumann are talented filmmakers who tend to do good things. But yeah, this one just didn't didn't fully connect with me. I liked it a little bit more than you did. I got a little bit more out of this than I did the old guard, even though I'm so, kind of similar on this. But yeah, I think a high C plus is where I ultimately land on it. I definitely prefer the old guard. I think that's a stronger film overall. I think this is more visually interesting, at least to me, than old guard. In some ways, sure. But I think that the the story of it and some of the action set pieces, I think are a bit stronger in old guard overall, minus the one scene we mentioned. Uh, I'll say that in both cases, Old Guard and Project Power, I have decent expectations for the follow-up. I think that they could be very good, could have a lot of potential, but we'll have to wait and see on both of those films. I know Old Guard is for sure getting a sequel. Yeah. We'll see about Project Power. It was a high-budget kind of film. Depending on how many eyeballs it gets, I'm not sure if they'll be able to make another one, but they certainly could if they deem so. Movies are pilots now. Yes, that is kind of the case. All right, let's talk about our next film, Boy State. Now, I saw Boy State. You did not have time to check this one out. Yeah, I don't have Apple TV, unfortunately. But I heard it's really good. It is very good. So I, I already talked about this film a bit when it came out at Sundance. Saw this one at kind of the midpoint of the festival. I didn't write a formal review, but I did write down my thoughts. And I still maintain them. And so I took this chance to sort of like look back at the film, see how it holds up. And I took a look at what other critics are saying about this film. So I'm going to do just kind of a brief review and kind of a check-in, a little bit of a festival check-in here. Now, in case you didn't hear my thoughts on it before, this is from A24. It is now on Apple TV+, Plus, that streaming service. It is a documentary that was directed and produced by Jesse Moss and Amanda McBain. It follows a group of teenage boys, quite a few of them, like I think at least a thousand, who attend something called Boy State. So there's a Boy State and there's a Girl State that takes place in Texas. And they get all of these teenagers together and they have to create a fake version of a representative government from the ground up. They have to start with electing the very lower rungs of the government and then to the point where they eventually elect like the higher office. And it really is sort of condensing the political process into 
arbitrarily there are two parties the kids are sorted into randomly and the kids have to meet with their parties and they have to figure out what of our what are our issues what are the things we believe in and they have to vote on these things uh, alongside the people they've already elected and then that becomes their party platform and then it gets into all right now we have to elect our highest office i think it was i forget if it was governor or senator or something to that effect it's like a very high office in texas government and it has to be built upon the party platform and it's voted on by everyone across the two parties. And the point of this experiment, it's something that's been around for quite a while. It's helped shape a lot of uh, politicians who are in power today. A lot of the uh, ones that you'll recognize, I believe like Bill Clinton, for example, Ted Cruz, people who uh, are very, very um, prominent power wise in political, uh, in the political world right now. And the point of this experiment is to show these teenagers, they're all around like 17 years old or so, show them really how does politics work? And you sort of go into it glossy eyed of like politics is about, you know, fighting for what you believe in and creating change. And then slowly over the course of this documentary, though, you see a lot of kids figure out what politics really is. It's a horse race. It is really just you trying to make your team win and doing whatever you can to make it win. And we explore the viewpoints of several of these teenagers who all come at it a different way. You have one who is kind of just reptilian. He doesn't really have a core set of beliefs dictating what he does. He really just wants to win. Now, he does have certain beliefs that inform that drive to win, but he's the character who will sort of a character. He's a real person who will do really whatever it takes. And you see a lot of modern politics in this kid. And it's scary to see because of just how obvious and how potent it, it clearly is in our current world. You have another person, another teenager who you can tell that he is just sort of saying whatever he needs to say to win, even though he is sort of more conflicted. And he's somebody who does have certain beliefs, but he has to hide them in order to do what he thinks will appeal to these kids. He takes certain positions only because he knows that they're more popular with this group of conservative children. I say children, they're teenagers. And then you have the more optimistic, the more idealistic, progressive guy and he is like the central character i keep saying character i don't know why this film this documentary is so narrative driven it's sometimes hard to remember that it is reality so in real time i'm having trouble sifting that away but that just speaks to how good this documentary is at pacing these events in a way that makes sense and is really electric to watch but yes the central teenager who is running this ticket that is very progressive, especially it's the odds are not in his favor to win, but he has these beliefs on things like guns and immigration and abortion, things that are socially progressive that most of these students have absolutely no interest in. They, they come from more conservative backgrounds, so they're opposed to it. And you're seeing him try to like appeal to the other side just by sheer force of his convictions. And what's more interesting about this documentary, because if that was all it was, it would sort of fall into that danger zone of being like a puff piece about a kid. But instead, it's more of a microcosm of how all of these political forces collide and interact with each other. And I think there are a lot of there are a lot of lessons to be learned, no matter your political persuasion. There's a lot of hopefulness in this. There's a lot of reason for optimism, but there's also a lot of reason for just how 
desperate I think we are for the future of, of America in general to be controlled by people who do have real convictions who do fight for the right thing, whatever they deem it so, and have good reasons for it. If this is the future, I think the future is mostly bright. I think we have to sort of accept that, first of all, these are kids, these are teenagers, they don't really know the world yet. So you're really watching immature, inexperienced people kind of punch above their weight. And I think that is the most interesting part of this movie is when they do rise to the occasion, how fascinating it is to see. And I am curious what people who are of maybe, I think people who are kind of in the middle politically, who are very independent and moderate, and they don't, they don't identify with any sort of political party. I think they might like this more than anybody because it sort of appeals to a lot of centrist ideology uh, in the sense that you can work with the other side, you can do this and that. And I think this will appeal to plenty of people who are progressive as well. I'm curious how it's going to appeal to people who do come from that conservative background who might look at the way this movie treats or depicts some of those students and maybe makes them feel like they get less attention because they are conservative. I could see a lot of resentment thrown toward this movie of like, I feel like I'm not properly represented here. And then of course I can already hear the more progressive people saying, ah, who cares? You know, because uh, they, they certainly feel like they're in the right. And uh, that, that is sort of the tension of this movie. I have not talked to anybody who has taken a chance on this, who is a more conservative or at least center right kind of political person. Um, but when I do, I, I'm definitely going to try to listen to what they have to say about this movie as well, because I would be very fascinated to to sort of get their reaction. I can only sort of, you know, try to remember when I was a, a lot more conservative, how I would react if I had seen something like this. I probably would have said something about liberal agenda and it's super partisan and that sort of thing. But, you know, I'm there are more serious minded conservatives than I was at, you know, at that point in my life who would probably have a more nuanced take on this. And I definitely want to hear it. So that's Boy State. I, I still highly recommend this. A minus, uh, must see no matter who you are, where you come from. I hope a lot of people check it out. It is uh, just brilliant to watch. And I, I really hope that people watch it and get activated to get into politics and to, you know, get fired up about government in, in a way that is sort of rooted not by political power ambition, but really just sort of like a desire to serve the public and to get your ideas out there to fight for them rather than complain about everything all the time online, which is unfortunately what I think too many of us are more resigned to do. So I hope you check out Boy State as well pretty soon. Will Ashton, maybe we can have a, maybe we have a Boy State episode with the boys. I don't know. Okay, sure. All right, let's get into our next film. I started this film, Will. Sure. I was about 15, 20 minutes in, and I stopped. Sure. I did not finish this film. You weren't film. bedazzled by that Apple uh, whatever <laughs> opening credit scene? No, not even a little. So this yeah. film is called Magic Camp, and <laughs> I, I tried, but sure. I could not. I stopped around the time when we get to the Magic Camp, the Institute of Magic, Institute of Magic and we yes. start meeting the kids. Yeah. And I just sort of was like, oh, no, this is a Disney Channel original movie mm. not made for my generation that is kind of masquerading as a Disney Plus exclusive. Well, now that like it was, I think it was going to go to theaters originally. Sure. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case. It certainly is trying to appeal to a wide audience. But this is the new sort of family comedy, I suppose, directed by Mark Waters. 
and it is a comedy i mean it, it may not be a good one but it is a comedy <laughs> well it's a family I, I don't know i'm trying to make sure i'm saying yeah. family comedy in a way yeah, that it's a family comedy. it's more the family yes. modifier but yeah so i don't i just don't know how much why you know whole families will get into this unless they have you know much younger kids i think like the age group of the kids in this film most of them are going to look at this and be like no thanks <laughs> like this is for babies mm-hmm. like that's the kind of reaction i think i would have had um yeah, i'm kidding though i probably still would have watched it that said i think the main appeal of this movie is the two central lead actors adam divine and gillian jacobs there is the unfortunate inclusion of jeffrey tambor who is somebody who has uh you know has some issues um some some abuse allegations and things that we don't have to get into but i i agree with you will we were kind of discussing this last week it is a bit jarring to see him pop up in here i had a hard time with that just because i think that uh it's, it's just strange seeing him um in his capacity right now yeah no absolutely um yeah so this movie i don't know if you said but yeah it was filmed in 2017 and if you're wondering to yourself hey i've never heard of this movie what is this movie it's because Disney has done basically everything in its power to bury it to the point where I believe the first trailer and the first poster for the movie came out a whopping four days before it was it hit the streaming yeah. service, which uh, if that's not a sign that Disney just does not care, then watch the opening credit sequence, which was made on like Apple movie or something or <laughs> I <iMovie. laughs> Yeah, yeah, I movie. Yeah. And uh, I mean, yeah, Corey Woodruff and I friend of the show were like, we could do this like we could make <laughs> If we tried hard enough, we could make the intro to this movie, which just shows this goes to show you that the movie really put like no real effort as far as the studio is concerned into marketing or trying to get this movie out to a wide audience. It was supposed to come out uh, in April 2018, and -hmm. then it got delayed. And then eventually Christopher Robin took its slot. So, yeah, it's been on the shelf for a while. Yeah. And I was just more curious. I mean, the main reason I was curious is because I, I guess at one point, maybe I guess early, early on, if, if he pitched it, Steve Martin was involved with this film. I guess he came up with the idea or like came up with like some sort of idea for it, pitched at Disney, but he is not credited, not even for like a story credit. So I'm guessing like his idea might be a little bit weirder or maybe a little bit more like uh, idiosyncratic than what Disney had in mind for this. And they just kind of like went through the trials because there's like five screenwriters involved with this film and all of them like i can't remember all, all of them off the top of my head but they're like writers from like crazy ex-girlfriend hi i met your mother uh i think henry winkler's son is in this uh wrote it i mean um the guy who wrote ingrid goes west so it's like yeah. a lot of talented they uh, wrote different drafts of it after the yeah. original draft by steve martin yeah and i think you can kind of tell because it's one of those movies where it just feels like like you said this is like the type of disney film that would have been made maybe in like 2003 it's like kind of more modest in its approach very character based, just kind of based on a concept, but just co- follows a very formulaic uh, executioner standpoint or uh, concept. And that's I mean, I think it's a funny idea, like it's a cute idea for a movie. But Disney just goes through like the most fairly mediocre way of going about it to the point where there's really not much to this that's, I think, really rewarding or investing. And uh, I, I don't think Disney buried it because it's like exceptionally bad. I think they primarily buried it, buried it because um Jeffrey Tamborn was involved with it pretty prominently yeah. in a way that like they couldn't edit him out like he like they could maybe reshot it. But I don't think they care enough. Uh, so they just sort of just like, yeah, let's bury it. But even if it did, if, even if the allegations didn't come out, like I think this would have just been a Disney Plus exclusive because I don't see a way that Disney could have made their money back on this. Like it doesn't really have like a catchy premise, but it is a cute one. But the, the execution of it just kind of settles for, like you said, like a fairly 
Disney Plus or Disney Channel style. Like it just has your typical like uh, stubborn protagonist who learns to, you know, accept the kids and then finds himself in the process. It's very much what you expect. But I do think it, it, if the movie did one critical thing, this might have worked. And that's I think if they switched the, the lead actors, like if Jillian Jacobs was like the kind of up and coming magician who like had a falling out, wasn't really sure where to go in life. And then she got roped into magic camp and then kind of found herself with the kids along the way. I think she's a lot more versatile and dynamic as an actress that she could have sold this performance while um, Levine or Divine uh, plays the kind of more like hotshot magician type who's like, you know, kind of selling out yeah. Vegas and stuff. and has like an ego. Like, I his think wheelhouse the, is like right, the I think, confidence and the swagger that is kind of yeah. goofy. And I don't hate Adam Devine. Like, I think he's fine. Like, I don't think he's a bad person or anything. But more and more times I've seen him in movies, I just I also think he's a leading man. Like, I just don't get the sense that he's like dynamic enough as a performer. I don't think he's versatile enough. Like, I think he's kind of one note as a performer. And I think that's fine for like an ensemble like Workaholics where he's like playing with a group or even like Mike and Dave need wedding dates, which isn't a great movie, but he kind of works better off of like Zac Efron and stuff like that when he's like in a movie like this where he's like kind of like C. Gray Jack Black. Like, it just doesn't work. Like, he just doesn't that interesting performer like he's not that funny like he's more amusing at best than anything i just don't think it works so for me it's a very much a like just c type film like for me this is like a c streaming exclusive in that it's not terrible like it's it it has charm to it the kids are nice and it's like it's not a movie you get mad about it just doesn't really do anything special or unique it just kind of follows the tropes and you know if you like that type of thing it's not the worst thing out there but you know i have seen it maybe less than two days ago and i've forgotten most of it by now so i can't imagine i'm gonna remember it in a week or two so i think a pretty low c is where i stand on it overall you know i think uh you know you mentioned that it probably would have made its money back it was a low budget 24 million i mean would it have made its money i mean it would have made it but it, w- it wouldn't have been a big money maker it probably would have made a little well, bit yeah, over that's its budget I mean. yeah. that's about it and then yeah the, you can tell they, they didn't want to put the marketing costs in because that would have put them even deeper into the hole mm-hmm. so i think disney plus is probably the best avenue or the best home for something like this even though i do think the premise is kind of funny i think where this movie especially lost me is there's a scene in the very beginning where we're being introduced to one of the main characters uh one of the kids in the camp and it's the acting of it I was just dumbfounded because like this kid and like his mom are like kind of talking around the idea that his dad is dead and you're just sort of like, Oh wow. They're, they're just not going to say it. Are they? Okay. You know, that's fine. You don't need to. And then finally it like, there's a, there's a lot of dialogue that amounts to like, well, my dad is dead. And like, it just sort of like comes out and it's, I don't know. The, the acting of it is just so bizarre to me. And the, yeah, I think once once we got to the camp, I was like, this isn't going to get any better. And I eventually just turned it off. So, yeah, I mean, I, uh, yeah, glad glad I, I gave myself an hour of my time back. Yeah, um, I don't know if you saw like there's a couple like concepts for the kids, I think, are kind of amusing. Like, I don't know if you got to the bunny girl yet no. where you left off. But, like her character is, I think, a really funny idea. And I think the actress does a great job with it. But like they just don't have any idea what to do with her character. <laughs> And it's a shame because like her character is like a better movie. Like she would be great. Like she'd be the scene stealer. Well, I guess she kind of still is in this because, you know, there's not much to it. But it's just the same. It's a shame because you can tell with like all the talented people that are involved with this. Like there's probably a really funny draft of this movie somewhere that like Disney was just like, this is too weird for us. We can't do this, which is a shame because I think if someone did this idea, but a lot funnier and maybe a little bit more weirder and wilder with it. Like, I think yeah, like work, American but... Pie presents Magic. Uh, geez. <laughs> 
<laughs> Let's dance away from that one. Um, uh, yeah, National no, not, not that. <laughs> no. Uh, Sorry. No, I mean, like, I don't know. Because, like, when I was watching this, I'm like, this is kind of like, in, in some ways, it's almost like a down, like, kind of down-the-earth version of Harry Potter, right? Like, this kind of, like... Like, what if, like, you know, all these kids are, like, in the magic and stuff? And yeah, now you're seeing me, that kind of thing. Yeah, like that, yeah. Well, like, more than now you don't see me. Um, but, yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it's something like that. Like, there's an idea here that's really funny and I think could have worked. I just don't think Disney was interested in making that film, and, and it shows. All right, well, that is Magic Camp. Low C for Will. A did not finish from John. All right, let's get into our last film of the week. It is the new documentary, Happy, Happy, Joy, Joy. This is another Sundance documentary. I saw this one back in January. I remember it quite well at this point, um, but Will, you had a chance to check it out for yourself, so I'm going to turn it to you. Um, just as a reminder, I did enjoy this documentary. I don't think it's amazing, but as somebody who didn't really watch Ren and Stimpy much as a kid, I thought it was pretty fascinating, the story of how Ren and Stimpy got made. And especially some of the stuff about its central founder, some things that I didn't actually know, and then some of the unfortunate realities that get brought up as well. But Will, you saw this. What is this documentary about overall? And what did you think of this one? Uh, yeah, so Happy Happy Joy Joy is a documentary by Ron Shiro and Kimmo Easterwood. Uh, and uh, on the surface, it looks to be a kind of more traditional kind of like behind the curtains talking head documentary where we're talking about like, the making of this very like iconic 90s TV show where, you know, it broke a lot of ground, like it did a lot of things for the medium in a way that kind of made it a little bit more like we see today with like SpongeBob and South Park and Beavis and Butthead and like every show that's on Adult Swim right now. Like they all draw back to Rand Stippy. And, you know, it was a big critical hit at the time, especially for Nickelodeon, who at the time, you know, like in the late 80s, early 90s was just kind of trying to find its form. Like, I guess for kids like us, you know, who grew up in that time, you know, Nickelodeon just kind of seemed like a thing that was always around. But at, as the documentary shows, it was a fairly new uh, TV kind of startup at that point. So this definitely helped to establish its brand. Like I said, like it helped to uh, kind of pioneer like the type of shows that they would play, at least from the animation standpoint later on. But like you said, like the show itself has all this baggage from primarily being the work of John K. Uh, John uh, Chris Kolsky. I don't know how to actually pronounce like his real Crick, name. Crick, Crick, Crick Falusi, I think is how you say it. Yeah, I mean, he's traditionally known as John Kay. So I'll, I'll pronounce it as such. But yeah, I mean, the movie, it's primarily looking at, uh, you know, like archive footage and then like watching the show and then hearing from all the people involved with it, like how this got made, how this got through, like all the sexual innuendos and stuff like that. And then midway through, or I guess actually pretty close to the end of production, there's a BuzzFeed article that came out which uh, talked about allegations against John Kay of sexual abuse and sexual misconduct. And the movie had to go back into production from what I can tell. And from that point, I guess John Kay initially wasn't involved with the film until the allegations came out. And then he was willing to be interviewed. And then for about a little bit of the film, we, we hear more directly about his response to those allegations. And we hear from one of the victims, uh, Robin Bird, I believe is her name. Um, I believe that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And we, you know, it, it, it paints the film in a much different and darker light. And I think as a documentary, it's for me very frustrating because I think I get what it's trying to do. Like, I, I think this film is in a tough spot where it's like it has to acknowledge this 
this very dark thing where it, it's obvious like the show's legacy is obviously tainted by its involvement of John Kay. And it's not like he was just like the creator. Like it's very much his influence. His style is apparent to the, the show. And it's kind of in this weird place now where like, I guess Comedy Central recently announced they're going to reboot Ren Stimpy. And there's this whole conversation going around where it's like, can you separate the art from the artists? And more importantly, like is Ren Stimpy solely devoted to John Kay or is it a little bit more of its own thing? And the, the, the documentary itself, like it's not, intending to answer that question but it's kind of in this place where it's supposed to because the documentary is constantly talking about like oh there's all these people like you know like all these animators all these brilliant people were involved with the documentary and you know i mean the show isn't just john k and like here's proof when he did his own thing like ren's typically clearly wouldn't be the same if it weren't for these people but it constantly goes back to it's like oh but john is the like the guy who did it and like he's the one that pushed for it and all this stuff and it's in this very weird place where it's like it's revering John as an artist and it's like talking about how he changed the medium. It's like also acknowledging all of his important behavior beyond the allegations, just like as a boss, he was, you know, incredibly demeaning and, and ultimately fairly self-destructive as well. And then it's like acknowledging all these things and talking about his artistic stamp. And it's like, I think I get what's trying to do, but I think the execution of it is ultimately a little bit messy. And I think the thesis doesn't quite end up as strong as it wants to be primarily, I think because, it spends so much time hearing from John Kay and getting his side to the point where it's in this very dangerous territory of almost having him dictate the story. Like he's even the one I think that says the very last quote, of the film, like he gets the last word in it. And it's this very difficult thing to discuss and explore in a way where it's like, I don't think it's a bad documentary. Like I think it's well-produced. Like I think it's generally well put together, but I just don't think the thesis that they're trying to go for here ultimately lands because the execution of it leaves something to be desired. Yeah, I think it's weird because I don't know how different our grades are going to be, but I think that I, I certainly disagree with some of your criticisms and agree with others. I think that ultimately, it's like you said, the documentary makes a case for why this show wasn't fully the work of John Kay. And it sort right. of hints and builds up to the idea that he was certainly important to bringing this about. But it was mainly like certain people who saw potential in things that he sort of like threw out there and and sort of and him being willing to fight battles to make things edgier. And it was sort of the balance of the art and the artist in that sense that led to what Red and Stimpy was. And you're right that he wasn't able to replicate that later. That was the most like fascinating aspect of the documentary is that you see this guy who is a total control freak yeah. and he is very egotistical. And they sort of build it up. They build up to it, and they point it out, and that he was hard to work with, and and then you find out all of these allegations that come later that further taint the legacy of the show. I guess I didn't think it was very messy because I think I, I don't. I guess I shouldn't say it was messy, but I think it was messy in a way that is that makes sense because real life is messy, and I don't sure. think it was the fault of the filmmakers. I don't think that there was a way for them to do a straight line of how all of these things happened. Because I think if they had, it probably would have been disingenuous and would have come off as insincere to me. I think they were kind of just telling this like straight line of a story and they were clearly trying to like get a lot of different perspectives. And one thing I disagree with is I, I don't think we hear from 
John K that much as you're implying. I, I think that we hear a little uh, bit more from him bit. toward the end. I, I wouldn't say that he, we should, shouldn't make it sound like he is like a very constant presence, like his voice uh, throughout. I, I'm sorry. I disagree with that. Not he's pretty, he's in a lot. At least like the current version of him. I think most of what we get from him he's is like filtered through other people. I mean, it, 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 he is, but he's in it like at, at least like, 40 percent of the film I, i'm not saying he's not in it i'm saying like the modern day version of him it's no, not that's like what i'm get... talking about okay so you think you think there is a lot more of him yeah there's a lot more of him in that i think you're implying i mean we must have seen totally different versions <laughs> of this film I, I definitely don't recall that of course you've seen it more recently so i have okay. to defer to you i mean I don't, maybe i'm exaggerating a little bit like how much he's in it but he's in it quite a bit like he, he's not like a side part of it like he's definitely interviewed quite a lot throughout the film well, I think what I recall is that by the time you get to the end of it, this was my read of the film. I think the documentarians actually took a lot of t- time and care to really point out that he is ultimately, by any like person's reasonable interpretation, just a bad person who, at the same time, in the 90s, he had that sort of like mystique. He had that mm-hmm. sort of like oh, this is this guy is some sort of like genius. And then I think this documentary is about the crumbling of that as soon as you sort of push him out of a, a realm of power. And so that was the thing that I thought was very fascinating to me. And I thought that it was something that was like, it doesn't matter how much of a creative force you think you are. I think that like you can still be your own worst enemy. And I think that this movie, this documentary is ultimately about how self-destructive he was. And about his pride in thinking that he was Ren and Stimpy uh, at the expense of the other people who really were the really were the ones who helped make this thing happen from the producers and the animators who kind of got sidelined because of his own ego. So that was the thing that I found more interesting, and I I took away from it a lot more than any sort of like messiness or any sort of like oh is this is this revering him too much? I, I really didn't just personally I really didn't get that. Um, that acknowledge like I didn't get that from this documentary. I, I didn't really think that that was something that was uh, very present. What I got was it was more present of just how much of a dirtbag this guy is. And I think to push on that any further probably would have just felt like a hit piece more than anything. Yeah, I mean, I guess where we disagree is that I don't. Well, I don't disagree with you in that I, I do think the filmmakers recognize that as a person, John K is a abhorrent guy. Like he is very disturbed. Like he has these very dark, pa- he has very dark past, and you know his personal life is filled with all these disgusting things that are indefensible. But I just think where the film is a little bit more messy is its legacy is him as an artist, and I think that's where the movie. I I, do, I think the thesis is there. I just don't think the execution fully backs up that thesis. Like I think that's what they want the movie to be, and I think that's where they say at the end of the film or they're trying to say at the end of the film, but ultimately I think it's this film that's caught in between what the movie was initially, which is that it was going to be a more traditional, like look at Ren Stippy, like, you know, John was this kind of mysterious guy. And it's like, let's explore him as a person. And then we got the second movie. that's kind of coming in now where it's like, okay, John's actually talking to us. He's telling us directly what's going on. Now he's also addressing these allegations that have come out against him. And it feels like the movie for me is at the standstill where it's trying to do these two things, this push and pull, and I find it frustrating because I I think that other film is what needs to come out more. And it's like, I don't exactly know how they can make that film because it's a lot trickier and it's a lot more, it's a lot harder to make that film because you have to have the involvement of people 
you know, like Robin Bird and Key Rice. I don't want them to come on the spot and, you know, if unless they feel comfortable doing so, you know, talking about this. And it's one of those things where it's like we see from like the head of Nickelodeon, it's just like this didn't happen overnight. Like this is something that's been going on. And the movie kind of leaves that note. And it's like, OK, like if that's the case, why are you not diving into that more? Like, why is that not being discussed more in this movie? And for me, I guess that's where I find myself frustrated. It's that like these things are unavoidable to who John is a person, especially as we're moving forward, especially as the show is moving forward. It's where is this like, where is that documentary? It's like, I don't know if they can make that movie. I don't know if they, you know, or have that liberty to do so. And I don't know if if it's one they can make. And it's also like, I don't know if people will see that movie, but I just feel like this movie is kind of caught in between two places. And for me, it's frustrating to watch it because like I said, I don't think it's a bad documentary, but I just don't think the execution ultimately is worthwhile and as it is like i think it's almost there but it just doesn't work for me we definitely disagree but at the same time i think i'm frustrated by different things the thing that frustrates me more is that because i do think that they handle the the connection between why quick felucy why john k was able to sort of like What's going on with him right now, his Me Too moment, to me, they, they sort of make the case for why that's an extension for uh, his behavior during the course of the show, while also recognizing that the show really was a reflection of a lot of his ridiculous character flaws. And I think the most interesting part of the documentary is how they show, like, how did this cartoon happen? Something this just really messed up, to be frank. How did they convince people to put this in so many TVs around the country and expose kids to this sort of thing? And I think it does sort of tie into like Nickelodeon is such a young network. And there was sort of this like wild west of being able to like get away with a lot of this stuff, um, though there were, of course, limits. And I think that the the documentary kind of shows that, you know, you can't explain what happened with this guy in a very specific way. But the thing that frustrates me more is how the documentary doesn't really get the chance to examine, you know, how really th- this like negative work environment through how people looked the way, I suppose, like how they didn't address what was going on in the moment. At the same time, I think that it's smart for them to really like allow Robin Bird a lot of time to explain what happened in her own words and using the archive of like the, the letters that she wrote to John Kay, for example, and really, really proving that out and not leaving it ambiguous. I think that's where I think the documentary is pretty responsible with how it reports all this stuff out. But I guess I just, I look at it and I see a pretty simple story of just a very disturbed person who got away with a lot because he was good at something. And then eventually he faces reckoning for it. And I, I suppose that one good thing that this documentary can do is that it can show people why the idea of like a Ren and Stimpy reboot is a terrible idea. And so in that sense, I think it is pretty successful, even though I I, I kind of at the, at the same sort of vein of criticism think that there's more to get at here. There's more stuff here that I think that they should right. have tried to dig into and maybe delayed releasing this once they kind of looked more at how did this happen under the nose of so many people who, mm-hmm. you know, supposedly could have done something about it. I think that there's an interesting documentary there as well. But yeah, I, I guess what, what you're getting at, um, the sort of like separation between the art and the artist and all of that, I think that's in here. Um, I just don't think that it's, it's certainly not borne out in a masterful way. I think we can agree with that, but I, I don't think sure. it's to this documentary's detriment, honestly. I mean, or you said detriment. something that, yeah, I mean, I think you said something that ultimately is where I am, which is that I think the movie, it, it needs to be flushed out more. Like I, I, 
hate to say this because I I feel like there's so many docuseries right now, but it's like this needs to be a docuseries like this as a movie. I just don't think this really works because like there's so much here that's left unexplored or it's left like a little like wonky in its execution that I think they need to do like more interviews, like kind of explore this a little bit deeper if they could like and talk about, like you said, like the work environment a little bit more and, and talk about these things in a way that I think addresses that more than like the last 10 or 15 minutes of the movie. Uh, and ultimately, yeah, I, I am just frustrated by that. I guess for me, like I, I do recognize a lot of what you're saying. Like, I think those praises are valid and I think that's fair for the film and the filmmakers to say, but ultimately at this point, I just don't think it fully works. And, um, you know, it's not a bad documentary. Like I think if you're a fan of Rancipi, you can probably check it out because, you know, it's interesting to explore these things. And I admire the filmmakers for actually, you know, not ignoring them and actually, you know, like diving into a lot of these very upsetting and hard to swallow things. But yeah, I think as it stands, it's like almost there. Like, I think there's, there's stuff in here that works. I think they they are willing to challenge John Kay and acknowledge his faults, which is good. But as it stands, yeah, I, I think there's just a little bit too much reverence for him as a, as an artist here and not enough time spent really exploring his like very serious flaults as a person and it's there, but just, I don't think it's enough to really even it out. So for yeah, me, it's that's like our, a high that's our main plus. disagreement. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, that's fine. You know, I mean, that's, you know, that's what I think it's a valid, is. it's a valid interpretation of like, it wasn't enough for you. It, you know, it, and it's hard to parse that out because it is such, it, it is so hard to watch something where it's like somebody you might admire. I, he's not somebody I personally admire. I, yeah, I, I didn't really not a fan that. of the show, but I know some people really did look up to him or some people really liked Ren and Stimpy. And I can imagine this is something hard to watch because you find out that he's really a monster. Um, yeah. we should say, and we didn't really get into this, but it is based sort of on a book called Sick Little Monkeys. And you can sort of tell that John Kay is participating in this mainly because he probably needs money. Because, um, you know, previously he was like very against that book. And it, it was clear that he was not going to like, you know, he, he wasn't a fan of how his story was being told through that book. And now he's sort of like, you know, helping out with this documentary in a sense, I suppose. But yeah. I think it's because he's he's financially in a lot of trouble um you know his kickstarter thing didn't work out um, and yeah yeah that was a while back and then um as far as i understand i don't believe like this revival he's going to get anything from he's not going to get any like royalties he's not involved with it so if you do watch it you won't be indirectly supporting him i think um he only has rights to like one character um, and I think I, if I recall, they do touch on this character. I forget the name of him, but there is a character that he was like obsessed with or something in the Ren and Stimpy show. And it's the only one. Yeah, they that talk he, about that. Yeah. Yeah. The general guy, I think, or like something like th- I think the character was based on his dad. Something like that. Yeah. 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 So weird psychology in this. Um, so, yeah. Uh, low C plus for you. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely like a high, well, high B C minus on it. High C plus. Excuse me. I'm like a high B minus. I had a feeling our grades weren't that far apart. It's like we have like one core disagreement. Yeah. That is very hard. Isn't that always the case? <laughs> usually yeah yeah and you know to be honest like i'm probably more of a b on it um if if anything i think that like just like the passage of time has sort of like sobered my b and slightly into a a higher b minus i've seen a few other documentaries since that were a little bit stronger but certainly in that same zone i think for me so i i still think that it, it is worth watching even if you have some of the frustrations that you're getting at i think that they shouldn't be a reason to Keep people from watching this because especially people who don't know about this story, this is a good starting point. Um, I suppose we're something we could both probably agree on is that it, this shouldn't be the end all be all for right. the John K controversy and, and all of its context. I think we'd definitely agree on that. 
Yeah, I just I think there's a better documentary here, maybe even from these filmmakers. I just don't think sure. this version of it is the best version. I think it's just somewhere in the middle. And I think ultimately the stuff that really nags at me is it just keeps nagging at me, even though, like you said, there is good stuff here. And I do think they are willing to kind of dig into the weeds and really explore John Kay in a lot of different ways. This is a flawed person. But uh, yeah, ultimately, it just didn't fully work for me. But I can see what you got out of it for sure. All right. Next week on the show, we are going to be talking about the new another Disney Plus movie, a new exclusive, The One and Only Ivan, which is a new fantasy film directed by Thea Rock and uh, screenplay by Mike White. It's based on a children's yeah. novel that I've sure. never read. I don't know too much about this, but I know that Sam Rockwell is in it. Angelina, Do- uh, Angelina Jolie, Danny DeVito, Helen Mirren, Brooklyn Prince, a fantastic looking cast. I think one of the voice actors includes Brian Cranston and Ariana Greenblatt, a few others. So, uh, Philippa Sue from Hamilton also. So she's, uh, she's on the Disney plus for in two places now. So that's going to be coming out. Uh, I think you're definitely, I think that'll probably be your featured review. You think? I mean, unless there's something else that's coming yeah. out, that's a little bit more high profile. Like, I don't know. I mean, I don't think you're seeing unhinged. Well, yeah, I'm not planning to see unhinged. This is the one that for some reason got a theatrical release, uh, yeah. instead of drive-ins, which I think is kind of strange, but what well, is coming to drive-ins, but yeah, it's, it's hitting theaters. They, they pushed well. for it though, to be also, yeah. Right. Uh, which I don't get thriller yeah. starring mm-hmm. Russell Crowe. Um, I, I really, I, the old log line isn't very grabbing to me. It's, uh, it's about road rage. Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> this came thing, out in yeah. theaters in Germany. Uh, I mm-hmm. don't think the reviews have been super good. So yeah, I don't really have a lot of interest in this. No, I mean, that's the thing. Yeah, as I was telling us off the air, it's like, I really don't get like, like a movie like Tenet. I'm like, okay, fine. Like I get, they want that for the yeah. theaters because it's like a theatrical movie. Unhinged is, it's just <laughs> kind of a trashy movie with Russell Crowe. Like, and it's sure. about a guy with road rage. That is the ideal movie for a summer that's filled with drive-in movies. Like, or not filled with mm-hmm. drive-in, like movies that need to be filled, that drive-ins need to fill. Like, it's like one of those movies where it's like, I don't get like why this didn't push for like a big drive-in release or this. This seems perfect, but I'm not the people involved with this, so I don't know. Sure. I, I don't know the current state of drive-in theaters around the country, but one thing I've noticed, at least in the Bay Area, is that a lot of them are not playing new movies. And a lot of them are just playing older movies because that's what people want to see. They don't want to see. Well, that's what they could book, I think. I think that's what yeah. happens. That, like they couldn't, they weren't sure what was going to come out, what wasn't. So it's just like, just book something that we know we can get. Like we know we can get what they want in a chocolate factory because it's done yeah. and they will play it. It's like, we don't know if they'll and people play will see it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's a lot of what it comes down to. I think like a lot of drive-in exhibitors are just like, we don't want to play relic. Like people, there's no marketing for it. That's going to get people to want to watch this at the drive-in. They want to book Madagascar or, you know, like known quantities. And I think that is a big tension for these drive-in theaters. And it's a big reason why I haven't seen a lot because there's, there's not that much availability. Well, yeah. And I also think they were like kind of burnt by like, I think a lot of drive-ins were going to play King of Satin Island. Then universal, like last minute was like, Oh yeah, no, we're not showing that drive-ins. That's the only VOD. And they, I know a lot of drive-ins were like really burnt by that. They're like, we were selling tickets for this. Like, how could you do this? So I think that's another factor is like, they just don't even want to deal with that. So it's a lot of things. Makes sense. Uh, the next film that uh, I definitely want to be checking out, uh, this is Tesla, uh, which is going to be hitting oh, yeah. VOD, I believe. This is the new IFC films picture. We've got a lot of IFC this last month, but this is a biopic about Nikola Tesla, who's sort of like the the hidden edit Thomas Edison uh, many would say who discovered a lot of things that Edison gets credit for uh, stars Ethan Hawke and um, Eve Hewson, Evan Mossback Rock. I think Marconi and uh, Jim Gaffigan. I think Marconi yeah. is also like somebody who gets more credit 
or doesn't get enough credit. And I think Tesla gets credit instead of him. It, there's like a confusing thing between Tesla, Marconi and Edison that I don't fully understand. Or at yeah, least well, like, there's a, it's been a while movie, since I looked into it. Yeah. Well, there's that movie, the current war that came out a year or two ago, which was like a, a movie that didn't ultimately work. I think, but it was like a really interesting idea. And I was like, you know, like there's a really good movie in here, but I don't think this is fully it, but like, I hope someone makes it. So that's why I'm excited to check this one out. I don't know if the, the reviews are that good, but mm-hmm. yeah, I've heard good things. I've heard eh, things. I haven't heard anything outright negative. This came out at Sundance as well. I didn't see it there, but uh, I know some people who did and said it was okay. And uh, nothing like super enthusiastic. It's kind of in the middle, but I'm still interested enough because I really like Ethan Hawke. And I always like seeing Jim Gaffigan and more serious performances. George Westenhouse too. Mm -hmm. And I believe this is uh, Ethan Hawke reuniting with the director that he made the Hamlet movie with. Uh, Yeah, the director is, and the screenwriter is Michael Almereda. So, yeah, interesting matchup of uh, yeah, where, talent here. Like, Hamlet says like one of his soliloquies in like a blockbuster or something. It's a very weird movie, I've been told. And uh, last, we have a film. That I've already seen this one, Words on Bathroom Walls. Uh, this is hitting VOD. It's Roadside Attractions. Oh, the, the Plumber Boy. Yeah, so Charlie Plummer is the main character in this. Um, we also have Taylor Russell from Waves and Escape Room. Uh, Andy Garcia has a bigger role in this than I was expecting. Um, also, Anna Sophia Robb and a few others. And uh, Walton Goggins, who really stands out in this actually <laughs> to be totally honest uh yeah i already checked this out this one's about a kid who deals with schizophrenia and he hears voices and it's, it's kind of taking like the fault in our stars sort of thing it's taking like you know teenager who has a certain you know best way to describe this he has like something going on with him that is like preventing him from living like the teenage life he believes he wants and it's about you know sort of wrestling with his mental illness and it sort of like it dances around some tropes that I really hate, um, including like all you need is love. And then it sort of comments on them. And, and I think in a way that is breaking you know, news. John hates yes. the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, no, you know, I love the Beatles, of course. Yeah. But actually, I think that this one has a lot more flash than I was expecting. And there's some decent substance. I think it's a little messy, but we'll talk more about it next week. I think I, I'm still kind of collecting my thoughts on it. I saw it like two weeks ago. And I might see it again, but it just to kind of recall uh-huh. certain yeah, scenes yeah. that I was a little iffy on. It, it's it's a hard it's a hard movie to talk about just because like some of its stuff. As somebody who hasn't gone through what the character in this goes through, I'm mm-hmm. really anxious to see what people are going like what other people are going to say, their perspective and their takeaway. And uh, I have trouble like fully recommending it because there might be some things that I just don't that don't register to me as harmful for this community that might be the case i didn't get that sense but again i just want to be cautious about what i say about a film that really is tackling stuff that's hard uh very difficult and that doesn't get a lot like a lot of movies don't get into this and i think it's a shame i hope this movie is a fair representation of that community we'll probably get into that more next week that's it for our show this week thank you as always if you're listening uh don't forget you can leave us a review on apple podcasts google play stitcher wherever else you love your podcast hang out with us on our social pages our facebook twitter instagram all that stuff is in the show notes and uh yeah we'll see you all next week from the internet california i am john agroni and for internet pennsylvania i'm washington see you next time <laughs>